This is the On The Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. I need your help. Before we get going with this episode of On The Touchline, I want more and more people in the soccer community to find out about this show on their favorite podcasting platform. So stop what you're doing and subscribe. That way, you get new episodes of this show every Wednesday and every Saturday. If you listen on Apple Podcast, hit pause. Go there now and leave a five-star rating and a review of the show. Help me continue to broaden the audience for what we're trying to do with On the Touchline. Okay, you can hit play now. In episode 19 of On the Touchline, I talked to the head women's soccer coach at Medai College in Buffalo, New York. Angela Nicholas Tolsma was happy to come on the On the Touchline podcast. There's a line from William Shakespeare that goes something along the lines of, This above all, to thy own self be true. Why am I quoting Shakespeare as part of a soccer podcast, you might ask. Angela talks about not changing who you are and being an authentic version of yourself when you coach. Part of a coach's journey in my mind is finding your way and finding how you can be yourself during training, during matches, that you're not trying to impersonate another coach. So just because a famous coach does something a certain way, you have to find your own identity and you have to find your way of doing it. Angela talks about that in this particular episode. She also talks about the people in her life that have inspired her to go into coaching and why at one time when she was juggling numerous jobs that she knew that there would be a payoff someday. That something that we talk about on this podcast all the time of putting the work in, of eating dirt, of doing things that weren't glamorous, of volunteering, those sort of things. Because on the end, it led to being a college coach. I hope you enjoy episode 19 of On the Touchline with my guest, Angela Nicholas Tolsma. People have asked me at different times, you know, like, hey, Jason, why'd you start a soccer podcast? You know, there's other options out there and mm. uh, whatever. And so what I've found is that through social media that I've gotten connected to some really just interesting people. And part of them, you know, a large portion of them are coaches. A large portion of them are players. I would call other people influencers or people who, you know, have a have a true passion for the game. And um, what I like to do is to really just showcase the men and women in our game and all different levels. Um, you know, doesn't that has no bearing on, you know, who comes on this show. Uh, but I like to give people a glimpse into sort of what the life of a soccer person is like. Mm -hmm. And so, um, knowing, you know, that you and I connected through, uh, through Twitter or whatever, yeah. that, um, I'm, I'm curious of your backstory and, uh, tell the folks a, a little bit about how you got to where you are in, in your journey. Sure. So, um, you know, I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York. I've been in this area my whole life. So, 
Um, I probably played, started playing soccer maybe around age three or four. Um, I have two older siblings, and my brother's seven years older than me, and my sister's four years older than me, and they both played soccer. So um, I literally grew up being dragged to, you know, someone's practice or game and then running over somewhere else. So I um, had to keep myself occupied. So I really just was always had a ball or passing with somebody or, um, you know, just kind of watching the game. So um, kind of just fell in love with it really by exposure. <laughs> And, um, you know, probably joined with the Premier Academy, my sister and I, I think I was about like eight or nine when I got involved um, and, you know, came up through that academy. Um, my sister went and played um, when I was a freshman in high school. She was a freshman in college and she went and played Division One at Canisius College. So um, it was really kind of fun watching her, you know, through probably my most important years, you know, when you're freshman through senior year, when you're looking at recruiting, um, getting to watch her play locally, you know, um, at the division one level was, was pretty awesome. So, um, I really started to look at schools around the area. Um, I was talking to a few, um, more like Eastern New York schools and, um, out of state. And as the times were a little bit nearer, I wasn't sure that I wanted to leave my family. So, um, my senior year, I actually, um, university at Buffalo had a new coach, um, and him and I started talking and, um, UB is a pretty big school around here. Um, it's mid-major division one. So, um, I really loved the school itself. And so that kind of just sold me. So him and I started talking, he came to watch me, um, train a few times, play a few times. And really it was kind of a done deal from there. Um, so it was pretty easy recruiting process. Um, and so, yeah, then I went to the university at Buffalo, played five seasons there. Um, my senior year, I actually tore my ACL playing, um, at home against St. Bonaventure. So, um, I was able to redshirt that season and, and come back for a fifth year. Um, so I did, you know, I think uh, like nine, 10 months of rehab, when it was all said and done um, for the following year preseason, played my, um, my last year. Then I went and uh, studied abroad in Paris. Um, I was a French and education major. So um, went and lived in Paris and it actually, um, I, I missed my college graduation because of the program. So by the time I got home, it was like, you know, late June and um, I was just kind of done. So I think I reached this moment of a of what now situation um, and, and had to kind of decide which path I wanted wanted to pursue. So I wasn't quite sure, like, did I want to go to grad school for education? You know, really what I wanted to do. So um, I ended up just getting like an office job. I was proofreading for a Canadian company that actually needed bilingual um translators and stuff like that so ended up being a good fit but I knew it wasn't like the long term for me um I had already been involved with coaching I think I started coaching honestly when I was like 17 or 18 years old um my coach um a female within my premier club who had coached me and honestly is probably one of my biggest mentors today um had gotten me involved with her youth 13 team so we'd be at a lot of the same tournaments I'd go and help out at practices and Really, I think that was my first um, taste of coaching and really liking what what I was doing and giving back to the game. So, um, you know, throughout college, like student athlete life is chaos. So um, I got involved with my best friend who played um, at a division three locally. We both co-coached a team for like a travel club. And that's just really how we got our, our feet wet. And um, I think I coached maybe like the U10 to U12 age groups for, you know, a few years throughout college and. Um, when the time came around where I, I came home and I was just done, I, I knew, like I said, I had gotten an office job, but I wanted something else. So, um, 
the head coaching position at the girls varsity soccer at my old high school opened up and um, I actually wasn't sure really if I had a shot or what um, and I interviewed for it and I got it so um, I was the head coach at um, Tonawanda High School varsity soccer for four seasons um, we were a pretty successful program um, you know we had a girl who broke the scoring record at our school while I was there and um, we made a pretty good playoff run each each year that I was there we lost in the semi one year we lost in the sectional final another year so um, it was a pretty successful program and all the while I was doing this, I was also coaching um, for that same travel club just just to keep kind of year round and um, as well as working a full time job. So there was a lot going on. And, and I used to joke with with my friends and my husband and my family that, you know, I worked a full time job just to be able to go out and do what I love after. Um, so then, you know, I was sitting there one night and, you know, I knew that this like wasn't the long term answer for me. I wanted to get into something full time and. Um, my husband was just sitting there just on his phone and he saw that Medai College was hiring a full-time women's soccer coach um, and he actually to his credit said to me you're gonna apply and you're gonna get this and you know I I was like hey I I don't know about so um, I started like prepping my resume and, and really like looking into the program and I'm quite familiar with Medai it's a like I said I'm from this area so I've known them I've known girls who've played there um, and they're an NCAA small private division three. Um, so I ended up applying and interviewing and, um, you know, they called me for a second interview and then they called me and offered me the job. So, um, that's, that's where I am now. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's something that, um, you know, it, it's a rebuild for sure as a program. And, um, it's the first time in program history that they've gone full time with their coach. Um, and, and I'm pretty blessed in that circumstance that our president who's been here only a few years has made a ton of changes especially on the athletics front um he has athletics background um he actually coached soccer himself so um he's really big into soccer too and and he um he understands the value that's within athletics so um you know we, we've made a lot of really exciting changes and a lot more positions are full-time um than than they ever have been at, at Medai, which is really exciting so um yeah and then also i was brought on to um, the Western New York Flash Academy, which is a premier academy around here. Um, I think I came on board there probably around June, uh, you know, like this past summer. And I've been with them ever since. And I coach um, 2005 birth years and 2007 birth years. So um, it, it's pretty exciting because in the last year, I've really gone from, well, I guess last bit over a year, but I've gone from um, essentially working three different jobs to um coaching three different teams full-time and now all I get to do all day is coach soccer so um yeah that's kind of where I where I ended up I love what you said uh er early in the conversation about having those positive people in your life Mm -hmm. and um there seemed to be a, a bit of a recurring theme there right that you had siblings who played soccer and you, you know, maybe wanted to be like them or kind of emulate them or, you know, encouraging you, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, positive coaches, right. That had a big influence on you as a player, but then getting into coaching itself, you know, for your husband to tell you um, like, Hey, I think you should apply for the college job. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, give give it a shot, even though you might've had some, some reservations or maybe some doubts or or whatever. And um, I'm I'm curious as to uh, what that was like having, you know, people building you up as a person and a player at a young age to keep going because, and I, and I asked that question because, so I work with, uh, you know, an, an age group of U10 boys right now, 
that there there tends to be this sort of migration, right? Mm-hmm. That this is kind of a drop-off point for a lot of people and for a number of reasons. Uh, but I want to be a person in their life, um, you know, hopefully one of many that has that influence on them and that positive experience to say like, no guys, like keep going. Mm-hmm. And you know, I always tell people that I love to take chances on players. I love projects, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in, in terms of their development because, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely some similarities when I talk to other coaches, but, uh, you know, we all have this like idea that like, no, like I'm going to be the one who's going to break through with this kid. Right. And I'm going to be the one that's like, no, I see it because it's there and I've seen, you know, glimpses of it at different times, but they just haven't put it all together yet. And, um, you know, that sort of thing. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, back to the question of, those positive role models and positive people in your life of how influential that was for you, um, you know, at, at a young age. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's, it's huge. Uh, you know, I was family and, and so, um, you know, I always looked up to my older sister and, and just being able to have like somebody that I can be like, okay, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be here. Um, you know, I, I think that that goes a really, really long way. And, um, I think you're right. Like with coaching, like, I think that's all why we do this at the end of the day, um, is to empower young kids through sport. And that is something that I feel super, super passionate about and really, um, why I do what I do. And I always like reflect even when, you know, like when I get burned out, which, which happens, you know, to, to a lot of us when, um, you're, you know, you're like this past Saturday when I'm somewhere for 10 hours and I'm coaching and it's just a long day and it's a Saturday and I'm up early and um, it's just been a long week or whatever have you. Um, I, I tend to remind, reflect back on that, that, you know, if, if I was to lose everything tomorrow, I know that I've touched the lives of, of young girls all, all throughout this, throughout this um, area at some point. Um, I've worked with all ages, you know, I, I coach college, I coach 12 year olds, I coach 14 year olds, I've coached high school. So um and that's one of the biggest things for me is building relationships with players, um, you know, seeing them go off to their own respective colleges and, and do their own thing. Or um, some of my former players getting involved with coaching themselves or or coming to me for letters of recommendation or, you know, um, whatever. Um, I think that that's just such a huge part of the game is, is to um, push these kids further and believe in them. And, you know, I, I came from a very um, a blessed family where, you know, we had. Um, I had two parents who, who, you know, worked full-time jobs and did whatever they had to do to, to get three kids to soccer and back and two of those being premier Academy kids. Um, you know, I, I've, I have two siblings who also played the game and were super supportive of me and, and not every kid has that. And, um, I think that coaches, like we play such a bigger role than just teaching them soccer. Um, we're making them better human beings and, um, we're pushing them further and teaching them discipline and how to get up after they fall. And, and, um, you know, literally I think I am a coach because of the girl that I was telling you about before. I mean, this was a coach that I had when I was 13 years old, um, within my premier club. And she was just this like strong, tough female who like, we all looked up to so much and, um, she, we joke around with her and hang out with her, but then she was the first person getting on us and pushing us further when we needed, um, she ended up coaching us a little bit later in the club, I think like maybe you 16, you 17. And um, that's when I kind of got roped back into coaching. You know, she was like, Hey, I think that, um, you know, as a player, I was always somebody like I played center mid and I was always a player who like never stops talking on the field. And I'm 
still that way. I just never shut up. So um, I used to have coaches tell me like, you'd be a great coach one day. Um, so, you know, she, I think she kind of saw those like qualities in me, like leadership qualities and wanted to get me involved. And as soon as I got involved, I think there is something definitely addictive about it where when you start working with kids and you see that light bulb moment go off where they've been working really hard at something and they finally do it. And they, you know, they say to you like, coach, did you see that? Or <laughs> they come up just all smiles or, um, you know, they, they, maybe they fail at something, but they get right back up and they just try again and keep their head down and keep working. I think those are all moments that when things get tough, I just remind myself of why I do what I do, why I give up so many nights and weekends and all this all this time in this chaotic coach lifestyle that's not a routine, you know, um, and, and why I, what truly my purpose is here while I'm here is, is to work with kids and um, push them to be the best that they can be. Um, and, and like you said, like some of your, some of the players we're going to have are, are more project players than others. And um, maybe that's just like the competitiveness in us as, you know, like soccer players and lovers of the game or coaches or whatever we may be that we want to work with these kids and be the person to have them get that breakthrough moment. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's super important that, you know, you have these different, you can find these different role models and that can come from anybody, you know, like, like for me, when I started, it was my older sister, um, you know, then it became a coach for me. And, and there's still, there's many impactful coaches in my life who, you know, I still talk with now and, some of them are still coaching. So now, you know, we kind of meet each other on a, on a more of like an equal level, which is, is funny how kind of everything comes full circle. So I think it's super important that, um, you know, you can find these people and that coaches can serve as these people because, you know, some kids may come from the best backgrounds and some may not. And, um, you know, I, I think that it, for us to reach out to kids through sport, um, push them to be their best, um, and then kind of see and be able to be a part of their lives to see where they go um, and what they decide to do with their lives, I think is just the, the really the coolest thing. I think it's uh, safe to say, Angela, that you, uh, you know, your why. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, that's, I mean, what a fantastic answer because, uh, you know, sometimes it, it takes coaches or players or us in the game a little bit longer to figure that out. And I mean, it's very clear to me that, um, you know, you've thought about this and, you know, it might be based on experiences or it might be based on sort of your own philosophy or whatever. And maybe that leads into my next question of what are you like as a coach? Um, Describe your demeanor, describe your philosophy on the game. Uh, What does that look like if I were just to, you know, uh, be a fly on the wall or just show up at a training session? Um, How would you describe things? Huh. Well, um, I think I'm definitely, I'm very approachable as a coach and very personable. And that's something that's very important to me is relationship building with coaches and, or I'm sorry, with players. And um, I think that, you know, it's, it's obviously very different in, in how I present things and the words that I use when I'm coaching my 12s versus my college program. But I think overall, I don't change who I am. Um, and, and that's something that's always been very important to me is to not sacrifice my personality or or who I am or my humor or anything like that, just to come off as more professional or, or anything like that. And I think sometimes there can be that, that pressure on coaches to um, appear a certain way or think they have to act a certain way um, to be can, like, you know, looked at as more professional or, or a better coach. And so like, I, I've always really operated on integrity. 
that's important to me to be true to who I am and be able to have fun with my players and laugh and joke around and, and talk to them before and after training or, you know, if something funny happens, allow them to laugh. Um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, have this environment where they don't feel comfortable being themselves either. Um, because, you know, that's how you get the best out of them is every player is bringing you something different. And every player, I want them to feel that when they're in their training environment, that they can be creative and bring their personality to their game. And, and you know, that's going to impact our overall performance as a team. So, um, you know, for me that you definitely see some intensity for me. That's, that's for sure. Um, I was a very intense player, um, tough player. So, you know, for, for my teams, that's something that, especially in my college program, you know, they know that I'll be the first one to get on them. And if it's not good enough, um, you know, I am going to drive them to do better. Um, and I'll get on them and that's fine. But I think, um, where some coaches lose that respect with their players is, um, where their players think that it's coming from. And I, I think that we've all had experiences good and bad with coaches where, um, you know, there, there is a play, you know, I had a coach who, if he called my, one of my college coaches, if he called me right now and asked me to run through a brick wall, I would probably still do it. Um, because he was just, he was tough on you, but he was able to pull that out of you in a way um, that you knew it was coming from a place of respect. And I think that's really important that at the end of the day, my players know that I respect them. Um, and I'm always very honest with them. You know, if they, if they ask me a question about where they stand on the team, I, I will be very honest about where they stand on the team. I don't want to, um, even when I'm recruiting, I, I don't want to um, make anybody, I don't want to lie or, or really like, you know, not be honest about where we're at as a program or what to expect from me as a coach or what our standards are at, at our program. Um, I want to be very honest and upfront about that so that when they sign up for and commit to Medi College Women's Soccer, when they come here in August and they start training with preseason, they're getting everything that they agree to and sounded good with them. I think that that's a really important piece for me um, is just being honest with my players. So um, I think that, you know, just overall demeanor, I'm very active. Um, I'll try to like sit down on a sideline and within two seconds, I'm back up just because I'm so involved in the game. So, uh, but I've definitely made, um, a conscious effort to at times just let my silence be impactful as well. And I think that's, that's tough for, I told you I'm the player that never shut up. So um, that was tough for me as a coach to, to understand when not to overcoach and to let them um, kind of figure things out themselves or let them be decision makers and, and learn how to make their own adjustments in the game, communicate as a team. So, um, you know, that's something that I really drive home for them is, is sometimes I purposely withdraw myself and just let them do it. Um, so I, I think it's, I kind of range all over. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely just a very passionate person and I think um, my players can pick up on that. And so I want them to meet my energy level. Um, and that comes with training, you know, like driving your training environment, playing the, like training the way you're going to play in a game. Um, you know, just if you're having an off day in training, making sure that your team is still just pushing through it and at least um, bringing energy and, you know, hey, it might not be our best day or things might not be working, but we're still, um, our energy is still high. You can still hear like that buzz around a training field. That's really important to me. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it definitely ranges and it depends on kind of which age I'm coaching. And, um, you know, if I'm with my academy versus when I'm with my own college team. Um, but my core values, like who I am as a person, my, 
you know, how I like to coach, how I like to have fun with my players, the intensity level, the energy level, I think that all really stays the same. Love what you said about the, uh, the overcoaching, um, because I know, uh, you know, early on in my coaching career that that was a uh, probably weakness, you know, in my style. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten much better the more I do this and the more repetitions I get as a coach of what you said, you know, letting them problem solve, letting them figure it out, letting them work through, you know, whatever the challenge is uh, on or off the field. And, um, you know, I, I just think that comes with experience. I think that comes with, uh, you know, learning and developing, you know, as a coach and, and, and things of that nature. And um, so to kind of tie a couple of things together here, you know, talking about relationships and you and I are very similar that the player coach relationship is uh, is a very important thing, right? That it can, you put so much time and energy into it, but in some ways it feels like it can be lost in a moment, you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. you, you, you make a, a wrong step and it's like, oh my God, I got to really salvage this now or, or whatever. And, and that applies to both the player and the coach, I think. Um, so I'm curious in terms of team culture, and we talk a lot about that on this podcast of, you know, how do you create that desirable culture that you want for your programs, um, you know, for the for the players you coach? And that could be, you know, younger players that could be at the college. I mean, it doesn't matter what, you know, is there anything special you're doing, I guess I would say, um, to create that culture? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely it's it's tough. And it's something that like everyone says the word culture and like, yeah, we want to build a culture. But I think when you look at okay, so how? <laughs> it's one of those things that it's a lot tougher than it, than it sounds. Um, and I think that this is really something that when I came in at Madai, I absolutely had to do. I mean, I took over a program that hadn't won in three years. So um, it was it was a challenge. And, um, you know, when I came in, I, I came into Madai in November 2017. So when I came in, it was actually the week of Thanksgiving. And um, I think I had maybe like 12 players on the team 10 probably that were like actually committed um and I had to somehow turn this thing around in a very short time especially when it looks at when you look at like recruiting um so uh, culture was a huge piece of that and to a certain extent it still is I think that that's something that um we're still driving as a team and and this past season being my first season with them was absolutely we had some some bumps in road and um I think that it starts in, in the details and it definitely it starts, it ends with the culture. Um, and, and I think that that, was, you know, when I had my first team meeting with them that I told them that I was very big on was um, how we act on and off the field, what we're like in the community, what we're like in the classroom, those things all matter and they all play into ultimately how we're going to succeed on the field. And, um, you know, I, I think there were, when I first came in there at the college level, especially like there are some players who, and I told them very upfront, I said, let's be honest. And when I have one-on-ones with each of you guys, is if this is the new direction we're headed in, and if that doesn't sound like something you can commit to, that's fine. Um, you didn't sign up for this, and I understand that. Um, so, you know, if, we, if that's not something, then let's come in and talk about it, and we'll go our separate ways, and that's okay. And I didn't want to make them feel um, bad about not being able to, to take this next step forward because I knew it was going to be tough, and it was going to require – you know, blood, sweat, and tears to get there. So, um, you know, some of them did come in and were like, hey, coach, like, I really was just playing because they needed players, um, you know, and, and I had, a, I wanted them to, you know, I was like, okay, that's fine. 
um, you know, we'll keep an open line of communication. I'd love to see you out at some games, like still supporting the girls. And, and I didn't want to shut them out and be that type of person. So um, I think that really that's where it started for me with turning the next page was, you know, sitting down with my players, asking them what their goals are, asking them what they think it takes. Um, not just dictating, getting your players feedback, um, you know, and I do this quite often with every single one of my teams, no matter the age of what I coach, if we take a break and I'll, I'll ask them, I'll be like, okay, so let's get some feedback, good, bad, ugly, whatever. What do we think? Um, and, and I love getting player feedback and I love getting their input on what they see on the field. Um, Cause it shouldn't just all come from me. So I think that's a big piece of it too, is making sure that your players feel respected, making sure that they feel heard um, allowing them to weigh in on what they're seeing. Um, if something's not working, I want them to tell me. Um, so I think that that's a big piece. And, and I think some people um, might, you know, like shy away from that initially when they're coaching because you don't want to feel like you're being undercut or something like that. But I welcome that type of feedback because at the end of the day, these players are independent thinkers on the field. And if they're seeing something, I want them to weigh in on it. So um, that's really where, where I start with it. Um, and, and like I said, having them set their own goals, asking them, what do you want individually? What do you want to accomplish as a team? Okay. You know, we've decided that as a team collectively, it seems like these are, our, you know, three to five main points. Okay. How do we accomplish that? What standard are we going to hold ourselves to? Um, and then, you know, once you've established your direction, um, you know, you, you got to hold each other accountable because at the end of the day, it's not always going to go as planned, especially at the college level. If you have somebody who, you know, um, oversleeps at practice at 6 a.m., okay, how are we dealing with that as a team? Like, what we have to hold everybody to a standard. Um, you know, if somebody is blowing off classes and starting to struggle academically, um, you know, we have to make sure that, it, especially me as a coach, like, that we stress academics and how important that is and, holding each other to that standard, um, regardless of how good or bad a player is. Um, it's got to be for everybody or else it, you know, what I think you lose that integrity that I talked about. So um, I really think just those small details and, and, and it, it can even go down to like a small of a details. Like when I came in, you know, I had started having the girls wear, um, you know, my die college stuff to training and having us match at training and, and um, just these little things of like, okay, when we go to an athletic event, we're all going to be, you know, dressed accordingly, or we're making sure that I'm making sure that my team's on time and we're early. Um, just these little details, I think, really helped us um, kind of take that next step and, and feel like, you know, a, a better program. And, um, you know, that, that culture, it's, it's contagious and it can be contagious in a good way and then just as easily in a bad way if you have somebody who's negatively um, affecting your team. So I think that it's something that it's difficult. And I think it's always a, a process um, to uphold that standard. And, and you're constantly, you know, dealing with different players and bringing new players in and making sure that, you know, they're fitting that standard, but at the same time that they're happy about it. So I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and I think especially at Madai, we're still, you know, we're still within that process a bit um and, and uh, it's kind of really exciting time because even at college I, i'm not graduating anybody this year so it's kind of this unique opportunity where um we'll have a bit more consistency so i think that it's just just in those details who you are as a person um 
you know, are you a good person? Are you, uh, are you a good person when I'm not watching? Are you, you know, active in your community? Like, what are we doing as a team? Are we volunteering? Are we, um, you know, doing all these little things that at the end of the day, um, help push you that little bit more on the field, that extra five, 10% that you can squeeze out of a player, um, get them to want to run for each other, get them to want to play for each other. And, you know, maybe the 80th minute of a game, um, you know, I, I think there's just a lot that goes into that. And, and really it starts with those details. I think sometimes uh, folks in the soccer community think that, uh, you know, that there might be this sort of magic bullet, right? Just mm-hmm. do this one thing and you will create the desirable team culture that you magically want for your program. Yep. And, that, and, and that doesn't matter the age, right? That goes down to, you know, the gra- grassroots level all the way to the collegiate level, you know, professional level, semi-pros, whatever. And I mean, it to me, it, it could not be further from the truth because, Angela, everything you just said there, I mean, it is truly a series of small events mm-hmm. that, you know, culminate into a bigger victory. And, you know, not a win or a loss in terms of on the pitch, um, but creating that program that you want. And I really like what you said about, you know, having the girls when, um, you know, they're going to another team sporting event or if they're on campus. Yeah. Like, damn it. Be proud to wear your stuff. Like you're part of something special. You know what I mean? Like this isn't like, you know, necessarily for everybody. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's kind of this, uh, you know, prestigious thing or whatever. And I say that because that is a eerily similar conversation that my coaching partner and I have with our U10 boys, right? Don't play for, for me and Andy play for the bat, play for the badge, you know, play for the, the, the number play for the, the boys on your team, play for each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. I mean, there isn't a more, we need everybody rowing in the same direction game than soccer. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you know, if, if you got somebody that's just wanting to be an ass and everybody and you know, the 10 other players on the pitch are, are on board and, you know, that's going to mess things up. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that. And, you know, I, I think you hit on some some really fantastic points there. A, a, a question that I love to ask um, coaches and. I love to hear their answer to, to this question because it really runs the gamut. And I, I preface that by saying, um, you know, we've had a wide variety of folks on this podcast. And that is the goal of this podcast is to have as many voices in the soccer community as possible. Who did you admire? Uh, I mean, you mentioned family members, coaches, things like that. But were there, you know, professional players? Were there uh, women on the U.S. women's national team? Were there other folks in the soccer community, you know, uh, college coaches like an Anson Dorrance or, uh, I don't know, the coach at UB or or something like that, that you admired? Um, Because I'm curious. And like I said, when I've asked females that question, it's been interesting to hear their response. Because I I think in, you know, not necessarily true in every instance, but more often than not, that it is easy for a young male player to have soccer idols, right? My son, a great example of this. He could tell me the whole roster of most of the Premier League teams right now, right? I mean, just spout it off. He could tell me, you know, who's on this team at Bayern Munich and, you know, who plays for La Liga and blah, 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 blah. Go down the list. But I think it's incredibly difficult. And I say that as the dad of two little girls going, hmm, Okay, so we have the U.S. Women's National Team. You know, that's sort of our shining light for U.S. soccer right now. Yeah. That's, that's great. 
there are women on that team that absolutely I would want my daughters to emulate and admire 100%. But what, what was that like for you, uh, you know, growing up in, in Western New York? I mean, who did you sort of turn to, you know, uh, as, a, as a professional uh, sort of role model? Well, for sure, um, the 99 Dream Team, the women's national team, I was nine years old when that when that happened. So um, for I think really the, that generation um, has done so much for women's soccer. And I think I actually posted on Instagram about it um, a few months back. And I can't even remember what the what it was. I think it was International Women's Day, actually. And I posted something about them. And I think it's really important for current players um, to know these women and what exactly they did. And I think it's the dare to dream documentary or whatever's out there that um, I've actually encouraged a lot of my younger players, my like U12s and 14s to watch um, because women's soccer in the States has come so far. Um, And really just that, you know, 20 years. um, If you look at, you know, some of those, Christine Lilly, Brandi Chastain, I loved them. Obviously Mia Hamm. Um, Michelle Aker is an absolute beast um, who would play through any injury. Um, you know, Brianna Sturry, like Tiffany Milbrit. I think those are all girls that like I had posters of and I read their books. Like I-, I would read, you know, this is, you know, early 2000s. So like I would be reading books and buying posters and, um, you know, watching games. And, you know, I think I had like a few signed t-shirts that I got, um, from the various leagues. And that was the time really where those leagues, you know, like we have the NWSL now and it's pretty, pretty stable now, but um, there were many years where these leagues were folding and then, you know, being recreated under a different name. And then that would last for however long and then fold again. And um, I think that it's just so important to pay homage to these women and really what they did. And if you watch that documentary, um, you're right. Like, especially young women, like they don't have, as, as many role models to look up to as, as you do if you're a young male soccer player. Um, and you can really take your pick, you know, from, you know, Premier League to La Liga to, you know, whatever, Syria, like whatever you want. Um, and there's all these, these different players. And, and I think it's super important for young girls to, to find women role models um, and watch women's soccer because it is different. And, um, and so I think that, you know, especially with my girls, like – especially with the flash and even my college team, like anytime there's an opportunity to watch women's soccer, college soccer, um, I send that out. Um, you know, it, it's so easy. It's a lot easier nowadays, with just the ability to stream and Twitter and, and whatever and all the cable. It, it's so easy to catch um, more of these games than you were able to when, when my age was growing up. Um, so I'll, I'll tell the girls like, Hey, there's a big college game on tonight or watch the college final. You know, I actually got my college team together and in December we watched the college final happen with Florida State and UNC. So um, we all got together and did kind of like a little holiday gathering and watched it. And, and yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely different. It's a, it's, they're not as available, but um, man, it it is important. And and so I think really for me growing up, um, like I said, those, those, that 99 team, um, you know, I remember watching, <laughs> watching the PKs and, and all that as a child and just idolizing those women and, and reading their books or autobiographies or whatever um, to just get more of it. So, um, you know, I, I think really for, for today's youth um, to take advantage of that and watch as much soccer as possible. And there's a lot more college soccer out there that can be watched um, that you can stream one way or the other. 
Um, so, you know, besides just watching the U.S. women's national team or the NWSL, um, you know, and sending even those NWSL games out, you know, when there's a good matchup, you know, that's, that's going to be a lot of players that they know um, to get them a little bit more involved in supporting women's soccer and watching women's soccer, I think is, is, is so valuable. I, yeah, I mean, having, you know, uh, like you said, I mean, having those role models is, it's, it's hard to put a value on what that actually means, right? Because you want to see, you know, young girls want to see people like them, right? They want to know that, hey, that could be a possibility. Mm-hmm. It might be a pipe dream. It might be pie in the sky, you know, never could it happen. But the idea that it could happen, right? The mm-hmm. idea that, holy shit, like, I mean, this is like, you know, this could be me in 10 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I want my my two girls, I mean, to look up to, you know, uh, some of the women's players that are out there now, because I mean, they're badasses, I mean, <laughs> you know, can't say it any other way. I mean, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, I mean, Tobin Heath and, uh, and Hope Solo are, are two of my all time favorite players mm-hmm. and, um, and for different reasons, uh, but yet they both command the pitch Absolutely. and, you know, Hope did it from the keeper position. And the way she did that was like, I mean, it was, you know of a different world at times mm-hmm. and uh yeah so um so i i told you 30 to, to 45 minutes so i want to be respectful of your time sure. um what so what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong uh in this country when it comes to soccer oh so i mean obviously i think that when it comes to I, and something i feel very passionately about is is coaching education and um I think that it it can definitely be more accessible. And I say that just because I had eight years of experience with a travel club where I didn't get paid um, and I volunteered my time. And, you know, if it wasn't for me and my best friend who assisted, you know, they'd probably have a dad coach um, who, you know, quite frankly, doesn't know what he's doing. So um, I think that that's something that we can definitely reevaluate. U.S. soccer should reevaluate it. Um, I think that they make it, you know, obviously, the, the upper levels of licenses is fine. Yes, that should be prestigious. But when it comes to this grassroots philosophy that we all have, um, I absolutely think it could be more accessible. Whether, you know, and I don't know what the answer is, but um, you're at the end of the day, when you look at these smaller clubs, not these premier academies that have these paid coaches, um, but when you look at these smaller clubs that have a lot of kids in them, um, you know, how are we supporting those coaches? If they're getting paid, are getting paid very little. Um, are they going to, you know, pursue this license that costs X amount of dollars and X amount of ends away from their job and their family um, to be more educated? And, and I mean, I, the answer is no. You know, for the most part, you're not going to have that. Um, so I, I think there's a few different things that we can do better to really get to the grassroots of this and and lift up these smaller clubs that ultimately lift up the premier academies that ultimately will lift up soccer, youth soccer in the States as a whole. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely think that that's a point that, you know, it it can just be better. It shouldn't be as expensive for this, this grassroots, especially we're calling it grassroots, like, right. Like that to me would mean that we care about every level of soccer being played. um, And we want these coaches to, we want to make it easier for these coaches to 
be more educated um, and be be able to coach and develop these girls and young boys a little bit better. And um, like I said, being with the club for eight years that has, um, you know, I saw a lot of this and, um, you know, I, I think it can be, it can just be developed more. If you have soccer really wanted to, they have the resources, they have the money to go in and help these clubs. I, I don't know what it would look like, but, um, you know, just make it a little bit more accessible and easier for your average coach to be more developed and educate them on how they can train young kids better. Um, and I think once you could see that happen, maybe you'd see coaches who would stick around a little bit longer and not leave for, you know, the next best opportunity or the next step up, um, which might overall lift it. So I think that's something for me that um, I just feel very strongly about it is that it can be better with, with coaching education. Um, you know, it, it can be more accessible. It can be something that we need to make it something that, you know, your average coach at a smaller club is going to want to pursue. Um, a lot of these coaches are coaching their own kids and they're coaching them just because nobody else will. So, um, you know, the amount of parents that used to come up to me and my, my co-coach and thank us for working with their daughters simply because, you know, they had been at a different age group and, you know, they had to coach and they just learned so much in that year simply because we weren't their dad or we had played at a high level or we had coaching backgrounds. Um, I think that that for me is something that, you know, we can do better on and, um, you know, it, it shouldn't just always be all about the money. And, and if we truly cared about this grassroots philosophy, um, we need to go to work in all of the, you know, like in our cities and get these kids and these clubs and help lift them up because overall, if you raise the bar for everybody starting there, you know, it's just a trickle effect in my opinion. Very well said. <laughs> Very well <laughs> said. Uh, if folks want to connect with you and follow along in your uh, soccer journey, how can they do that? Sure. So I'm on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is Angela Nix, N-I-X 23. Um, you know, you can also follow my college program as well that's Medai m-e-d-a-i-l-l-e-w soccer on twitter um and i'm also on instagram i think i'm pretty similar there too i think it's like angela nix on instagram and um for my college teams twitter um instagram handle is the exact same it's Medai w soccer and uh, yeah we can get connected fantastic uh, Angela, I can't thank you enough for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Yeah, thanks and, for having me. Uh, uh, wish you nothing but success in your coaching journey. And um, yeah, I hope that is, uh, you know, if you venture down to the Pittsburgh area for games or whatever, to have a chance someday to, to meet up in person and uh, even come watch uh, you guys play. That sure. would be fantastic. Sure. Sounds good. I'm sure I'll be there a lot next fall. So <laughs> <laughs> cool. Having been in the coaching world for a little while now, I can honestly say that there are a few types of coaches or a few personality traits of coaches that I am automatically drawn towards as a fellow coach. And after having talked to Angela, passion is certainly one of them. Angela, I very much enjoyed hearing your story and wish you nothing but success at Medai. I hope things continue to go well.
And as you continue to climb up the coaching ladder, you are welcome to come back on the On the Touchline podcast anytime you'd like. This podcast is available on 11 different podcasting platforms. It would mean the absolute world to me if you can stop what you're doing, find us on Apple Podcast, and leave a five-star rating and a review about the show. This show has experienced tremendous growth in two months of its existence, and I would love if more and more folks in the soccer community can find the On the Touchline podcast, but I need your help. You can also connect with me at any time on Twitter or Instagram, and my handle is at SoccerCoachJB, and direct messages are always open that if there's a topic, if there's a guest, if you would like to come on this show, I would be more than happy to entertain that idea. All right, episode 19 in the books, and thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been the On the Touchline podcast, and I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.